there, my name's Simon Tumir and this is my podcast. Today I'm talking to the fabulous musician and fiddler Laura Wilkie. If you enjoy these podcasts, please support my patron at patreon.com forward slash Simon Tumir. Let's get on with the show. Hi Laura, how's it going? Hey Simon, I'm fine. Back in December, your band The Canaris Quintet won the really prestigious Bellhaven Award for Innovation. Yeah, oh my God. Like, it's an amazing prize and an amazing opportunity for anyone in, in our our sort of sphere to have the opportunity to, you know, use that bursary to make something really exciting and to not have to worry so much about the financial implications of it. Um, yes. I mean, £25,000, there's nothing like that. It's crazy. I, I actually, yeah, I didn't even go to the awards. Um, it's no offence. But um, I, yeah, and I was very shocked that we even had a chance to, to, to get it. So it was, it was really a lovely, really lovely surprise. Really exciting. And of course, they've made a Canaris Quintet beer. Oh yeah, that's one of the things that you you do as part of the. How do, how does that work? The contract. Um. Well, so the Bellhaven Brewery people, um, invite the winning band. So Elton Sessions and Talisk have done this before us, and um, so you go down to the distillery, take a tour of the distillery, not the distillery, the brewery, and uh, and you know. Um, get shown different ways of making different types of beer and how they add flavour, how they, you know, different techniques. And it's really interesting, actually. And though I'm not really a beer drinker, like, I'm a, a bit of a geek about how, this, like, the science of, of how these things work. And um, yeah, it was really cool to, you kind of taste all, all the different types of beer that they have made on already and um they explain like how they got that flavor and how what they experimented with and um and therefore like then you kind of get to a point of you know deciding as a group what you what you like the taste of and um what you don't like the taste of and then what kind of beer you're going to make um if you'd like to add any kind of flavors like and then we, you have to kind of decide with them on the sort of branding, marketing side and like what the the tap heads are going to look like. Like they make a little bit of artwork um, using the, the chimneys of the Bellhaven uh, Brewery. Um, and I think that they've called, we've made an ale because Laura Beth is a gale drinker. Like a pale ale IPA type thing, I think, and um, it's going to be quite citrusy. I think they've called it vibrant pale ale because I think they've maybe latched on to the the fact that we wear lots of bright, sparkly, vibrant things when we're playing music. That's amazing! I can't wait to taste it. Oh, I know. I don't even like beer, but I'm quite excited to taste it. It was a fun day out, actually. We did it in December. Um, I was the driver, so I didn't actually taste any of it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the others had a good time. So you're originally from Tain. Yeah. Where did you start playing the fiddle? 
uh, I started playing for all, was about 10 um, at primary school uh, under the amazing Debbie Ross, um, or Debbie Swanson as she was then before she was married. Um, she used to play, or maybe still does play, in a band called Konyach, um, which is like a kind of folk rock band, local folk rock band um, that played at lots of local events. I remember like seeing them at this outdoor festival in Invergordon when I was really small, and I just saw Debbie playing the fiddle on the stage like by the sea, and it was just so cool. I just thought, I want to be her. Um, and then, yeah, it turned out she was the violin teacher locally, um, and I yeah had the opportunity to start learning to play the violin with her at school. Did you love it right away? Yeah, I mean, um, I'd kind of done a little bit of piano with my granddad before. Um, he he was an organ player. Um, he was an English teacher, but he played, and he was an atheist, but he went to church every Sunday, so he got to play the organ for a church. He, he was um, a really amazing pianist, actually. Um, and I remember getting to like, sit on his knee at the organ. Um, but when I started learning to play the piano, it was kind of between him and my dad teaching me, and it was like a bit stressful <laughs> and Obviously, I don't think my brain maybe worked the way that theirs does, and so I couldn't get my head around reading music at all. And um, I was finding, I was just guessing, you know, I was just using my ear all the time to try and play the things on the piano. It just frustrated the hell out of them. So um, getting to play the violin, it was like a new thing with a, a teacher that was un- disconnected from family life. Um, and Debbie was so calming and really nurturing and um, I think she's got a really good understanding of how different people learn and um, how to kind of play to their strengths and she's, she's you know, she teaches way over the amount that she probably can physically teach and she keeps people involved with the fiddle or the violin right the way through school, like even in that kind of stage between... I don't know, maybe like primary seven, first, second year, when you get a bit cool for hobbies or extracurricular things, you just want to hang out um, with your pals and practicing is a little bit less at the top of your schedule or something. And she, you know, she manages to uh, keep people interested and engaged in a social way and um, as well as, you know, like keeping them improving their, their fiddle playing. Um, all through school. She runs this group called the Gizm Briggs, which is like a fiddle, traditional fiddle group based at Tain Royal Academy. And um, it's mainly for anyone that local, really, that, that plays a traditional instrument or wants to learn. And they just meet up every Monday night and for a couple of hours and have a break with tea and biscuits and uh, just play through loads and loads of tunes. And then every kind of February... March time they have a fiddler's rally at Tain Town Hall and it's always completely sold out and it's just really inclusive but it's really good the arrangements are always really fun and yeah and they always have like a guest artist spot so that'd be like a professional traditional musician 
Um, like for example, this year they had Hamish Napier and Steve Burns um, come and play and sing, um, and it's always like that part of the concert is always so inspiring for all the younger players, and they always have a conductor, and so I've been lucky to be asked to come back and conduct a few years um, at this thing because there's just so many people to keep everyone in time. Sounds like great crack. Did you do all that throughout your teenage years? Uh, I did all like, yeah, playing, like learning tunes and stuff in my lessons at school and um, at Gisenbriggs. And then also I I was really lucky that there was um, Faith Ross that happened uh, every year. And I started going to that, I think, when I was in primary seven in Ullapool. And you go for a week away from home and learn fiddle or whistle or Gaelic singing or clarsa or guitar or whatever. And you can choose three different things, three different subjects to kind of focus on during the week. It's like a school day kind of. Um, but they get amazing musicians to come and teach all the young people. And then, yeah, that was a really inspiring week for me. And also, I think socially, the Faith and Given Briggs was really good because it was like an alternative social group um, for you to hang out with. So if you're not very cool at school, <laughs> when you went to the Faith, everyone was cool. <laughs> I mean, I know these opportunities are, are, are fabulous. When you finish school... Unlike probably a lot of your peers, you didn't apply to go to the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. You went for the the Strathclyde Applied Music course. Yeah, that's right. Um, I really wanted to go on that one. I, I applied to that. I applied to, I think, Newcastle. And I applied to a couple of history courses because I'm a really <laughs> inspiring history teacher at school. I'm really glad I didn't take history um, in the end. But yeah, the Strathclyde course just taught, I don't know why, I think because of the people that I knew that had studied on it before. And I was really inspired by those kind of musicians that were like, kind of, I don't know, like pushing folk music a bit in different ways, like like Angus Lyon and Duncan Lyle, Jen Butterworth, Anne Massey. There, there was loads, like June Naylor and people that i kind of just seen or heard kind of as a younger musician. Um, I just really, I don't know, like the music that I heard that they were making was, was like really cool. And I just thought, oh, I won. And then, it, you know, it turned out they were all studying on this course that accommodated traditional musicians um, as well as like jazz musicians and classical musicians it was just it was even better in some ways than I thought it would be once I got there um obviously like every music course has got it's usually run by musicians so there's you know the the um there's a I don't know maybe organization or communication was sometimes a bit difficult um and also our course was kind of um unfortunately discontinued while I was there so I was like the second last year to graduate I think. I remember you telling me though when you got to that Strauss Clyde Applied Music course which I mean everyone mm-hmm. loved it went on it they uh you said you it really you really started to practice. Yeah totally. Because actually totally. your technique you have yeah. got great technique 
Do you think? You definitely do have great <laughs> technique and you're able to play quite a variety of styles, but that probably all started when you made it, went to that course. Yeah, definitely. I don't know, I think probably like the peer, you know, having peers from different um, musical disciplines as your pals, like, you know, I was hanging out with loads of people that were studying jazz and a couple of years ahead of me or a year ahead of me on the course and... You know, when we went to the pub, like, we would just talk about harmony all the time or, like, laugh at, I don't know, terrible harmonic choices or solo scale choices that someone had made in the class or they'd made in the class or whatever. And that honestly, I felt like <laughs> I just had to learn this to be able to get the crack at the pub because <laughs> um, I didn't know what they were talking about. And, like... You know, there was one day, I think, that it might have been James Lindsay who was just, like, sitting there before getting up to play at a gig. And maybe, maybe it was Brel or something, or, like, the Rio Cafe that used to exist. They had, ja like, jazz jams there during the week. And um, I used to just go along for the crack with, like, Rachel Lightbody and Siobhan Anderson and Jen Austin and whoever else. And we just used to... What like watch the guys playing jazz and like improvising that was really inspiring. But I remember like James Lindsay just sitting there, like just made a chart, like a chord chart. Just and that like at the time, like when I was in first year, I think I just thought, how has he just done that? Like he just charted it all out <laughs> um, for a tune that he wanted everyone to just play like there and then. And I remember being like, bloody hell, like I need to. And I need to learn how to do this, you know. I felt like maybe it was a bit of, like, inadequacy, but I just hadn't really understood what it took to be a professional musician, really, before then. Um, you know, like, I just thought it was amazing that he was, like, taking responsibility as a bass player to, you know, to have a chart, even though it was only five minutes before he went up to play. Like, you know, he could just do it. And then everyone would understand it and they could play it and have fun. I don't know if that helped answer your question, but in, like it wasn't just um, technical stuff that I was practicing. You know, I kind of really learned to read music when I was there. So actually mainly like asking peers about stuff and um, Hamish Napier really helped me a lot with theory and understanding some harmony and, and then I was able to take the jazz class in second third year fourth year um and uh, Stuart Forbes was a jazz lecturer I knew that like my technical ability wasn't good enough to you know play in a jazz combo with like these guys like David Dunsmuir, Angus Tika, Hamish like whoever James Lindsay and all that so I just um thought right I'll just take the class and just learn the theoretical stuff and just practice on my own um and I got a bit better at it just on my own um and then I, I, I think I took the playing module when I was in fourth year so I was actually like improvising and stuff but I wouldn't have been able to do that like the the jazz playing module if I hadn't had um help with my technical ability from you know like in Strathclyde you could choose who your teacher was you know um like your fiddle teacher or whatever um and I was I saw Shona Aitken this amazing gypsy jazz fiddle player I saw her playing 
can't even remember where it was, but I just thought that's what I want to do. I want to be able to do that. And she was really busy all the time, but she made some time to uh, teach me a bit throughout my, maybe it was my second or third year. And she really, really helped me with technical stuff and gave me a lot more confidence in improvising. Like just practicing scales and getting a, a good routine together. Um, and then she got really busy and was on cruise ships and stuff um, for lots of like big chunks of a year. Um, and then fourth year, after I'd had a year out, I came back and I had Patsy read as a teacher. Um, she was kind enough to start teaching me when I when I requested her. And um, she was also the same, like really great at helping me with technical stuff, especially um, right right hand stuff like bowing bowing stuff and different exercises to help me control my bow a bit better. She was amazing, actually. And also, the, the amazing thing about those two women teach me is that they didn't really try and, like, you know, enforce their style on what I was doing. Like, they were very keen to have me express myself like, in an individual way um, and not correct any of the idiomat- idiomatic things that I was picking up from different things I was listening to. You know, and I wanted them to be hard on me. I was like, no, like if I'm, you know, if I'm not get, it doesn't sound right. You know, I need you to be hard on me. But they were really good at being clear about what they needed me to do to improve what I was already doing. You know what I mean? And yeah, like I'm so grateful to have had time to study with those those guys. They're amazing. Um, and actually, like now that we're back, at, you know, now that I've got all this time on my hands. I'm starting to do what I've kind of wanted to do for years like since I came out of uni and started working as a musician um, I found that I had obviously less time to practice like there was a time in uni when I was practicing for like four to six hours a day I just loved it I just loved the meditative solitary <laughs> thing of just like of just playing scales like or just practicing tone for like two hours or something you know obviously the two breaks and stuff but I just loved the slow pace of it and just um yeah like I was just working on myself and um there was you know but then obviously once you leave uni and you have to work then you like have to you've got deadlines and stuff and gigs you need to learn stuff for and so you don't have the luxury of practice time as much um, so yeah, so that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm just literally spending an hour or two in the morning just playing long notes. <laughs> you might have noticed there that Laura talked about taking a year out in her third year. And we talked about this at the end of the podcast and I thought I'd slip it back into this part of the, the podcast. So here is my subtle link. No, it was in my third year. Um, once I kind of realised like what was required of me to be a, a good enough musician or you know to be able to there was a few things that I wanted to play in my final recital that were really ambitious and I knew that if I wanted to do it I, there wasn't room to have an eating disorder in my life because it takes up so much of your time um, like planning I don't know like to <laughs> 
planning all your exercise and planning um, how to avoid meals or how to, I don't know, how to, yeah, how to deceive people, basically, um, about your well-being state. Um, that just takes up your whole time. And I knew that if I wanted to be better at the violin, I was going to have to sacrifice the time spent on having an eating disorder. And um, to do that, I knew at that point that I couldn't do it on my own because um, I tried for years and was never successful. Um, so I was really lucky. I, um, I kind of just said to my parents and to uni, like, that I wasn't coping very well and that I knew that if I was going to be able to complete my degree, I was going to have to work on my mental health. I didn't know what that would look like and it was really scary because I, you know, lived that way for like, since I was like 15 and at this point I was like 21 maybe or 20, maybe even longer, I can't remember, but um, maybe since I was 14. But yeah, I realised that I, I needed help and I didn't know really who to ask for help. I didn't know what kind of help I needed. I think that's the thing a lot of people struggle with. They know that things aren't right, um, but they don't know, you know, who to ask or what they're asking, really. Like, there's this amazing um, organisation called Help Musicians, and I've told so many people about them, but I think a lot of those people don't get in touch with them because when they go to write the email to request some assistance, they don't really know what they're asking for, but that's okay. I think that the... The main thing is that you maybe go to your GP or like tell someone that you trust in your family or your friends um, that you're not okay. Um, even if you say, I don't really know what what to do, I don't have a plan, but I think I need help. It's always better than doing nothing and carrying on and, you know, um, suffering. Um and it's change is scary, you know, to get over any kind of mental illness it requires a lot of changes to your life um, and the way that you, yeah, and a lot of work. <laughs> and that's sometimes a bit daunting as well. But um, I can honestly say from my point of view and my experience that it's really worth it. And it wasn't easy. Um, I was in... The Priory Hospital for about 10 months, maybe a bit longer. 10 months as an inpatient and then a bit as an outpatient, um, where you had to go to group therapy like three times a day and you were supervised, eating meals, going to the toilet, all these things. And um, it was a bit like, it's actually a bit like this quarantine thing. You just have to stay inside and you can't see your friends. Um, and there's not really at that time when I was in there you couldn't get on the internet either I had a CD player in my room and I just listened to I had a bit of a routine um, within the restrictions that I had upon me at that time which was um, I used to just listen to this album by Brittany Haas it's like just loads of old time tunes on it I can't even remember what the album's called it's like her solo album from like years and years ago and I just used to listen to that every morning before I had my breakfast and then I went down to breakfast had it 
came back, did this thing called Hour After, which was like all the eating disorder patients had to sit in a room supervised by nurses and just, you know, like to try and get through like the, I suppose, like the anxiety of having a failed stomach. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, so I had a bit of a routine. And then anyway, as you comply with the restrictions that are put on you, i.e. like not going outside for exercise um, you're allowed to go on walks but they're supervised but the better you got like the more you complied with like you know eating what was on your meal plan and um, doing what you're told and not being sick and you know if your weight was gradually like going up which I find really difficult um, and you get to do more stuff like you get given more autonomy and um, so I was allowed eventually to like go for a walk by myself or I got to go to the yoga class. There's a yoga class once a week and I was allowed to, I was allowed some free time. So after meals, I didn't have to sit with a nurse and the rest of the patients. I was allowed to go and like take my fiddle and practice for a couple, an hour or two. And then I just played my fiddle all the time. I had to practice mute and I just practiced and transcribed stuff. I had to like a slow downer software on my computer that I downloaded and then I had Sibelius and I would just transcribe everything <laughs> um, and yeah practice every day and I loved it um, and then it was way better when it came out the other end and went back to uni and managed to complete my fourth year and uh, play all the things that I wanted to play like really challenging pieces with lots of different instrumentation and um, so it's a happy story you know like dealing with your mental health and you know and it's not it's not to say that I you know went into that hospital situation and and then was fine you know forever it's like it's something that you know I think everyone that has any kind of mental health struggle which is basically everyone maybe <laughs> um, whether it's either addiction or anxiety or depression or have an eating disorder or OCD or whatever it's something that like I think you just get better at managing and it doesn't necessarily totally go away Um, but you can you get stronger at choosing not to believe it or not to make choices based on how it's making you feel like you get better at making logical decisions about your health and about your work and and stuff um, and and if you don't have like all the this chaos and stress of a an addiction or an eating disorder or crippling anxiety or depression to deal with, then it frees you up to to actually deal with the things that everyday life throws at you. You know, like just I don't know, um, doing your tax return or <laughs> going to the shop and getting food and cooking for yourself so you have. A, nutritious meal living more normally and help more healthily I should say what music are you listening to at the moment I've been listening a lot to this guy called Germund Larsson who's a Scandinavian fiddle player um but actually like I've not really been listening to that much fiddle music for ages like today I've been listening to Ricky Lee Jones this album called Pirates. And then I've been listening a lot to this band called Big Thief and their 
yeah, the songs and the arrangements and the twists and the harmony or the melody or the time or whatever. I just love the way that they make music. I love the, it's like kind of rock band, folk rock, I don't even know what you'd call it. It's hard to categorise anything these days, I think. But yeah, I've been listening to that. And then I've, I've been listening to a lot of like these uh, COVID Kaylee contributions. Um, the hashtag COVID Kaylee. Um, so this morning I was listening to Rudy Gollin um, playing this really beautiful tune and I'm going to learn it because I've never heard it and I really loved it. And I've been listening to a fiddle player a bit called Austin McDermida, um, who's amazing. His ornamentation and like the time feel that he has like playing different things, marches and reels, and it's just so... I don't know. There's something really beautiful about it. What is next on the horizon? And it's obviously quite a far away horizon at the moment. <laughs> Do you have a bucket list? Well, I'd like to be better at the fiddle and be better again at improvising again. Um, so I'm working towards that as much as I can in this time that we've got. Um, I'd like to be a dental nurse that's like my next I don't know my next it's been in my mind for a while just because like I've got this condition where um I get a lot of acid reflux and it totally um damages my teeth like every day kind of just gradually and so I'm always needing to go to the dentist to get things stuck on or my teeth are just like getting weaker and weaker and so I, I spend a lot of time at the dentist. So I don't know, I'd love to I'd love to get out gigging again. I really like you know, it's sunny today and I'm just thinking about like playing at festivals when it's sunny with my pals and yeah, that's really lovely. I particularly love like Cambridge Folk Festival when it's warm and um Belladrum festival up in the highlands i'd love to i hope that i mean i don't know if we'll get to do those those kind of festivals and maybe this will still be in this lockdown might still be in place by then but um yeah playing with people for people on a nice sunny day well i think you know i think that sounds perfect what a way to finish 